If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, which we read earlier in the service. But hear these words of Jesus Christ to his beloved people again. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? (laughs) Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So far the reading of God's Word. I have a confession to make. This probably won't surprise you. But I have spent an awful lot of time during my life Worrying. Of course, I don't call it worry. (laughs) You worry. (laughs) Me, I have legitimate concerns. I have things I care about. You're, You're a worrier. Are you persuaded? The Bible says we all have cares people we care about, things we care about, circumstances we care about, and that's natural. But you know, Peter says, cast all your cares on him. But that's not always what I do. Instead, what I do is, instead of casting my cares on him, I hold them close. I hug them tight. And they begin to spoil in my mind. They begin to ferment in my soul, and cares become anxiety. Cares become worry, and I have quite the list. I don't know what's on your list, but if I look back over the past couple of months and even years, I worry about my health and these aches and pains that uh, are slowly creeping in, 
surprise me and I worry about money. Will I have enough to retire on? I worry about my family. Who doesn't worry about their family? I worry about my kids and my granddaughter. I worry as I watch the news and I see the angry crowds attack American soil at their embassies and I worry about war. I worry about the church more than that. I worry what will we be like in the eyes of God? Will we be on fire? Will we be faithful? Will we be strong and a bold witness? For him, will we? I worry about politics. And when I was in high school, I worried about my grades. I worried about every test that came up. And I was on a team. If I was on a team, I worried about the performance I would uh, show at the meet. I worried uh, about if people liked me. How do I look? What do you think? What does he think? What does she especially think. Jesus knows that you and I are prone to worry. He gives us a little list. He knows it's not exhaustive. What will I eat? What will I wear? What about my future? And Jesus says down in verse 27, that all your worrying accomplishes absolutely nothing. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? That's Jesus' way of saying you can't accomplish anything by worrying. You can worry about your math test. You can worry about your science test. That won't help your grade at all. might better spend that time studying, but, but instead we worry. Worry accomplishes nothing. And Jesus says this is a waste of precious time, a waste of precious energy. And ultimately, when he gives a name to me when I worry, he gives us a name. You see it down in verse 30. He calls us people of little faith. So if you're a worrier, Jesus gives you a name. He says, your little faith. And at its root, the Bible teaches us that worry and that, that perverse anxiety churning around inside us is a failure, a spiritual failure, a great spiritual problem, a failure to trust our Heavenly Father and His providential care over my life. And I don't believe He's out in front of me, guiding me. Of course, we have things that we care about, people we care about. But these cares become worries, they become anxiety, they become obsessions, they might even become phobias, and they corrode our souls. And it's a serious spiritual problem, not just psychological or emotional. It's a spiritual problem. Because the Bible so many times says things like, Fear not. Do not be afraid. Cast your anxieties on him. Again and again and again, they are given as commands. And you know what a command is. A command is the law of God. And so when I transgress the law of God, what is that a definition of? 
sin. And it might surprise you today to know that at a deep level, worry, that corrosive worry, is a sin. Here, three times, Jesus says, do not worry. And so my worrying is contrary to the way that the Lord wants me to live. And when I worry, here's what I'm doing. I am saying, I know how my life is supposed to be lived. I know how my life is supposed to go. And I don't think God's going to get it right. And when I say that, I am impugning, I am insulting the very character of God. So what does Jesus do? Well, point number two in your sermon outline. What Jesus does is he's gathered his disciples around him there on the mountainside. He has, I think, the greatest group therapy session the world has ever seen. And he loves these people. You can tell that he loves them. You know, when you're struggling with worry and somebody says to you, you shouldn't feel that way. How does it make you feel? Are you suddenly not worrying anymore? No. Does that help? You shouldn't worry. Don't worry. That doesn't work. Of course not. But what Jesus does is he says, I want to show you how to be free and released from the paralyzing anxieties of your life by helping you to think through several things very carefully. And 2,000 years before anybody had ever mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, modern psychologists, they have this brand of therapy, they, they say think right, feel right, or think right, act right, and, and I suppose cognitive behavioral therapists do some good for people, but unfortunately they don't drill down deep enough to deal with the heart issues. But, but they, they're on to something because the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 2, you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when Paul is talking about anxiety in Philippians 4, 8, and he gives that long list of all the things that you should fix your mind on. Then he says at the end, think on these things. And Jesus teaches us how to think in this passage about the things we worry about. And it's beautiful. And he says, I want you to think about life, your priorities, and what is really important in life. I want you to think about life. Then Jesus says, I want to challenge how you think about yourself. I want to challenge you about your own self-perception. And finally, what Jesus does is he challenges the way you think about God. What do you think about God? Who do you think God is after all? So, it's so interesting in verse 25. Jesus doesn't just scold them. He says, look, let's think about life together, group. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? 
What is most important to you? And here he's just saying, examine your priorities. And I think that unless God has called you to be the food critic for the New York Times, which aside from being pastor at the North Shore Community Church might be the best job in the world, unless you're the food critic for the New York Times, that becomes your biggest priority. Jesus says, you know what? Life is more than food. It really is. My wife teases me. I can be a bit of a foodie. I can, I, I can anticipate uh, meals with great relish. And um, sometimes she properly says, you know, John, according to Jesus, we need to eat to live, not live to eat. Ow, but she's right, you know? Jesus says in, in the priority of life, aren't things more important than food? And unless you're a designer on 7th Avenue, fashion is your industry, well, then, okay, that's important, but aside from that, isn't life more important than clothes? Really now, it is. Jesus says, I want you to change your priorities, and we'll see what he's going to tell you to seek first, but change your priorities. And then Jesus says, look, you want to think about life? He says, look, and you know what we'd learn about Jesus Christ? Jesus is a bird watcher. Jesus loves to look at the birds. On our retreat next weekend, Maggie has volunteered to take people early in the morning on a bird walking, bird watching tour before breakfast there in the Poconos. And, and Jesus must have loved nature. He must have loved the flowers and horticulture. Jesus loved ornithology. He was interested in the birds. And he says, look at the birds. Pay attention. What do you see? I'll tell you what you see. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Pay attention. When you hear a nightingale sing, you are hearing a message better than any preacher could ever deliver. The nightingale says, I'm eating in the Lord's kitchen. And He is my host. And He takes care of me. Oh, no, I know. A skeptic. There are some skeptics here, maybe. And the skeptic says, wait a minute. Don't those birds feed themselves? Well, they are busy. But behind all that they do, who put the fish in the sea for the birds who eat the fish? And who put the insects in the wood for the woodpecker who goes to find them? And who put the carrion or the roadkill on the side of the road for the vulture? But God in his providence has so arranged that in your business, in your activity, and as you go, in your own sales that you make, and in the money that you earn, God is behind it all. Even the flowers of the field are fed by the rain that comes down from heaven and draw the nutrients from the soil that make them blossom into beauty. God, God is behind it all. And He's going to take care of you. And then Jesus kicks it up a notch, and in verse 26, at the end, He says, I love this, He says, Are you not much more valuable than they? 
And this is a loaded question because he not only wants you to think about life and rearranging your priorities and how you look at your place in the natural world, now he wants you to think about yourself. I know sometimes we think about ourselves too much, but right here Jesus says, I want you to think about yourself. Who are you before God? Who are you? How would you describe yourself? And uh, I remember a former colleague of mine in Philadelphia, a wonderful pastor named Bill Lown. And Bill had this beautiful heart for people. And when people were suffering, when people were struggling with uh, just feeling bad, he was so wonderful. He would come alongside a person. He would say, tell me about yourself. Describe yourself to me. And then he would open the Bible to this verse, Matthew 6, 26, and he would say, what word does Jesus use to describe you? And it's the word valuable. And he would say, you know, I think that's missing in your vocabulary and understanding yourself. That in the eyes of God, no matter who you are, how old you might be, male or female, young or old, educated, uneducated. In the eyes of God, you are valuable. And that's beautiful. And for the Christian, it's even more than just being made in the image of God and having dignity in the image of God. But for the Christian, we know this, Romans 5, 8, you are so precious to God that we, it says, while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. God, it begins, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even the objection that I'm a sinner does not make you less valuable. You're still valuable to him. And Romans 8.32, do you know this verse? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Wow. You're valuable. Christ died for you. The love of the Father is on your head. Christian, what word would you use to describe yourself? I'm not talking about the secular notion of self-esteem. I gotta love me in, in modern parlance, this is so much deeper. You are made in the image of God. God is in you. You are beloved of Jesus Christ. He is for you. And the logic is inescapable in verse 27. Which of you then, uh, or if he takes care of these, how, verse, I'm sorry, verse 30, how much more will he take care of you? So, he says, do not worry. Point three, change how you think about life. Change how you think about yourself. And then he says again, don't worry. Don't be like the pagans. For the pagans run after all these things. So Jesus says, look again. Go ahead and look at the pagans. Who are the pagans? These are the people who have no interest in God or who have some sort of weird religion that inspires them in their chasing after the things of this world. 
Jesus says, go ahead. Be a people watcher, not just a bird watcher. Be a people watcher. And the reason he tells you to look at the pagans is because the pagans don't understand God. And Jesus now says, I want to challenge your thinking about God. And maybe some of them were thinking what you're thinking right now. What, why do we want to talk about the pagans? Pastor, I'm here at church. I'm a believer. What does this have to do with me? And maybe the people on the mountain said, we're covenant Israel. We're the people of the Lord. Why, what does this have to do with me? And I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you why this is so important. Because the people of God, through the centuries, slip into living and thinking like pagans. We do. We do. Psalm 106, verses 35 and 36, says this of Israel. Listen carefully. They mingled with the nations, adopted their customs, and worshipped their idols. Ooh. Listen to that again. They mingled with the nations, adopted their customs, and worshipped their idols. And you see, when we do that, we mingle with the people of this world, and then we adopt their customs, and then our hearts are drawn to their idols, and we're just like the pagans in practice, in our, in our minds. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. My people, my friends, the reason they're so anxious is because the pagans don't know God. Now, what do we learn here? Jesus says, here, think about God. And you learn these things. If you're taking notes, you write it down. When you want to be free from worry, you need to know who God is. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. Okay? God is the creator and sustainer of all of life. And he created me, and he will sustain me. Okay? That's the first step in your battle against worry. That's what you know about God. And then Jesus says, but he's not just some big power source. He's not like holy electricity out there. But Jesus calls him your heavenly father. So he explains your relationship to this almighty creator sustainer. And it's one of fatherhood. <laughs> You're in his family. And again, we have this because Jesus Christ has died on the cross in order to reconcile you to your heavenly father. And so, you come to know him. The first line of the Lord's Prayer, right? Remember all that? Our Father in heaven. The other thing you know about God is, he says in verse 32, and he knows what you need. Well, what does that mean? Do you think God is up in heaven right now, wringing his hands, saying, I wonder what's going on in his life and in her life. Do you think that he is? No. Jesus, he doesn't use the theological term, but Jesus tells us God is omniscient. He knows all things and he knows all the hearts. He's also called the knower of hearts. He knows. He knows. And I'll tell you, he knows what you need, and that you need food and clothing. But Christian, Christian, pay attention. He knows that you need the true food. That you don't just need bread. You need the bread that came down from heaven that gives life to the world. That's Jesus himself. <laughs> 
You want real food. What's better than a Reuben sandwich with pastrami and Swiss cheese and sauerkraut and rye bread grilled with butter on both sides? I'll tell you what's better. The bread of heaven. Jesus Christ. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, North Shore Community Church, what is our food? What is our food? Our food is the Lord Jesus. We feed on him every day and he nourishes us and we grow in his grace and we grow in his power and we grow in his love and we live with hope because we feed ourselves day after day and week after week on him. And, and you want clothing? You can drop a bundle on the finest clothes. But Jesus Christ has clothed you in his righteousness. The New Testament says of you that you are clothed, you are wrapped in, we call it the imputed righteousness of Jesus. You are wrapped in his perfect record. You're wrapped in his goodness. And then Colossians 3 says you put on, you put on, you put on the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life. And you are clothed with something far more beautiful than Vera Wang could ever design. Jesus challenges his friends that day in that group therapy session, not just what they think about life and their priorities, not just what they think about themselves, that they are valuable, but what they think about God. Do you believe he is your creator, sustainer? Do you believe that he is your father who knows what you need? He is omniscient. Do you repent of that arrogance that says, I know what's best for my life, and God may not get it right? And as we come to the fourth point, at the very end, verses 33 and 34, Jesus says, it's, and it's like the, the, it's like the crescendo to the end of the discussion, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What do you know about tomorrow? You're going to have trouble. I can't stand those TV preachers who say, you know, you be a Christian, you'll never have any more troubles. Well, they weren't listening to Jesus. Here and in several places, he says, you're going to have trouble tomorrow. You can count on it. Middle class Americans are under the illusion that they deserve no troubles. And the poor around the world, they know tomorrow there will be troubles tomorrow. There will be troubles. And I don't even care if you're rich. I once talked to a, a, a man who uh, worked in one of those high offices on Wall Street 
and or not Wall Street, but in Manhattan uh, as a senior executive at a major firm, and he got paid with stock options. Now, nobody's ever paid me with stock options, but uh, apparently he had a whole boatload of stock options. And if you know what you, how you get the money from stock options is you have to hold them for a period of time until you are allowed to sell them, and guess what happened? The stock market crashed. All of the senior executives of this company are running up and down the halls, cursing and wringing their hands and, and weeping and tearing their clothes. As, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And, and some of them came into my friend's office. And he sat there, calm and collected, and they said, what's wrong with you? And he said, and I quote, I believe there is a God. That God is my heavenly Father. And that God, I'm actually paraphrasing now, and that God knows what he's doing, and in his providence, he decided that the stock market was going to crash on this day, and my stock options were going to evaporate. And he's the all-wise God. He knows what he's doing and I know he's going to take care of me. Wow. What would you have said that day? As you, you know, maybe you don't have a fortune, but maybe you had a potential fortune, and then poof! How would you have responded that day? But you see, this brother had changed from before his Christian life. He had come to know that God was the creator sustainer, that God was his heavenly father, that God knew what he needed. And so he met that challenge in such a beautiful way. Jesus calls us little faith, little faith when we are worrying. Well, you don't want that. Jesus says at the end here, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what he's talking about now is your ambition. What is your great ambition in life? What is it that makes you tick? What is it that energizes your soul and your spirit? Is it to get the promotion at work? Is it to become famous and great in the eyes of the world? Is it to achieve financial security so that you don't need to rest on anybody else? Is it to find a husband? Is it to have a wife who respects you? What is it that you want more than anything else? And Jesus says now, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Everything else will fall in place. We sing a beautiful song in this church. Tune isn't easy, but you know that song, Quiet Me? Quiet Me, it was written by Mark Jacoby. It says, it says, quiet me with your love. Take away each tainted desire of my heart that is not satisfied in you. Fill this emptiness with love for all you are, only your glory to pursue. Dim my eyes to all these trinkets and these toys that would dare steal my gaze from you. Sing your song of love above my background noise. I need to hear it breaking through. 
Soothe my furrowed brow. Calm my quaking heart. Drive my fear out with your love. In your presence, all my trembling will depart. I'll worship in your courts above. Where are you anxious today? What care, might be legitimate, has now become corrosive in your soul? I have a treat for you. As I finish during the last hymn, I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer. And I'm going to let you confess to one of the elders or their wives or one of the small group leaders that, that you've been holding on to this anxiety, this worry like this, and, and, and you want them to pray that you can release it to your Heavenly Father. Okay? You got this image of that thing that, like a knot in your stomach? You're holding on to it, and I'm going to invite you to come forward. We're a church family. We know each other well enough that you can just come forward, not be ashamed that you're, you're admitting uh, you're just in line behind John Yenshko, that today you were little faith because you, you, you stopped looking at the birds. If you stopped looking at the birds, come forward for prayer. If you stopped considering the lilies and how splendid they are, then you come forward for prayer. If you've forgotten how valuable you are to God, come on forward this morning for prayer. If you've become crazy like the pagans, come forward. Let someone pray for you. Let's bow our heads now and get ready. And you ask God if he wants you to come forward for prayer. And Elias, I'm going to need you to stay down here and be available if you. We're going to sing this great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. As we sing it, maybe God is going to invite you to come forward for prayer. And um, John and Debbie, if you'd be available up front here as well. Tony, you want to come?